Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hall, as always, and we have Broderick Chavez, the evil genius, on the show again. Um, And this is the one you have been waiting for. We kind of left a little bit of a teaser last time in that we were talking about kind of the process of muscle growth and how sometimes there can be like delayed curves or something that Broderick is going to talk a lot more in depth about. Um, And I was just saying to Broderick how... It's not as black and white as people kind of think. It's not like it's an off and off, off and off, off and off, on and off switch. Um, just like fat loss isn't an like on and off switch. We know there's kind of these th- longer term things that are going on. Same with recovery and all of those sort of aspects. So um, if we want to introduce the kind of topic of muscle growth, um, I don't know where you want to start with this, Broderick. I know uh, you have a lot to say on it. So um, I'll, I'll open the floor for you to start where you think is most appropriate. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And and again, it's, it sounds almost as if I'm becoming redundant, but I I, I, I appreciate you inviting me back and I appreciate that people are interested. So uh, that, that makes it worth it and very exciting. Um, having said that, the way I want to talk about this, or at least the way I had envisioned in my mind, of course, it's your podcast and we'll do whatever you think. But what I thought is maybe step back many steps and do pretty much what I try to do as a professional, you know, based on my education and background. And that is look at the absolute biggest picture I can conceive, explain that. And hopefully that explanation will make all future explanations considerably more relevant and easy to understand. Uh, And and in doing that, what we're talking about is at large, you know, yes, we're in the field of exercise and exercise science and bodybuilding and guruism and whatever you want to put the name on it. But at the end of the day, that falls under the heading of biology. You're dealing with a living creature and everything moves forward from there. So in the subject of under the heading of biology, we have some really, really fundamental concepts that apply to basically every organism that is by definition alive from your house plants to your house cat, to your neighbor. These principles basically rule all of the domain of living cells and organisms. And one of the most important, and there's, and there's a slew of them and there's none that's really more important than the other, but what's relevant to what we're going to talk about is adaptative response, or as Dr. Hans Seil framed it in, I think the 1920s was gas general adaption syndrome. And it's really nothing you can't figure out on your own. Although when Dr. Seil put it together. It was pretty uh, revolutionary and new and interesting, Mm -hmm. and it still rules everything. And I actually think I referenced that you should read his book, and I think I think I saw you with that. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna follow along maybe more than everyone else. But the general idea is he laid out some very fundamental concepts that, like I said, some of them are almost childlike in their obviousness. Some of them not. One of the most important is no action happens without 
a stimulus. And more importantly, the stimulus must always come before the action. You know, basic, you know, basic, uh, you know, science fiction, you know, time relation stuff. The, 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 you know, the cause and then the effect, never the other way around. And that sounds really stupid, but we'll come back to that because that's relevant. Okay. So he, he identified this and he used, you know, basically scientific nomenclature. But the concept is you have, uh, I believe what he called alarm uh, resistance and then either recovery or uh, failure, exhaustion. Recovery or exhaustion. And alarm is the organism recognizes something is happening. It's bad. That's all it knows. You go out in the sun and your body doesn't go, ooh, we're going to get a suntan. The bo- you go out in the sun, your skin is exposed. The first thing your body does is go, alarm, alarm, sun on us, Leo, it's hot. What? Then there's um what they call it, what's, and that's uh, re- defined as the shock phase. Yeah. And then under shock is – um anti-shock, which is where the stress is still there, the panic is still there, but your body actually recognizes what it is and what's going on. That's the first, you know, cognition, if you will, to, to, the, to the action. And then there's resistance stage, whereas your body enacts whatever mechanism it has to combat what's going on. And that would depend very much on the stress, whether it's a suntan or a hot environment or a cold environment or a rock in your shoe, all those things are stresses and your body's reaction to them is different. But that phase means that the reaction has now commenced. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and then last, and then I just wanted to say, this is uh, I, not to kind of interrupt your flow, but um, on a related note, and I think this is, we've spoken about them before and um, Dr. Mike uh, has spoken about stress response adaption curves, and these are very much just a different way of phrasing a, a similar response. Right. Those are an exercise-specific refined version of this grander yeah. concept. This grander concept, it was actually originally done with um, with, with the, uh, Dr. Sile was an uh, endocrinologist. I mean, he, you know, in the dawn of when and endocrinology wasn't much of a science, oh. it was literally stick a syringe in a gland and draw out some goodness <laughs> and stick it into a different animal and kind of watch what happened. Wow. And what he realized happened is he, he had thought he had discovered a number of different hormones because he was getting a response. The, the, the body was reacting. And what he finally came to realize is no matter what he stuck into these animals, he got the same initial response because that happens to be the response to a foreign material. He basically discovered immunoreflex, whereas he thought he was discovering something more specific. It was this general concept of if you jab something foreign into an animal, it responds in a certain way. Yeah. And that led him to this concept that this is far more overriding than he thought it was. And this was a grander uh, behavior of, of living creatures and refined from there. Uh, so, and then lastly, you know, we have that little resistance stage. And then lastly, we have uh, basically the make it or break it stage, which I think is defined as um, uh, what actually, let me look at my notes. He, it's what did he call it? Uh, either recovery or exhaustion. Yeah. Whereas th- at that moment, the creature can either overcome the stress or the stress overcomes the creature. And there's different consequences and sub stages, but that's basically, you know, you did the workout, your body responds, and now the end result is either overtraining or or not. That's where you're at. So there's this grand concept, and it. The reason I belabor this is there are very distinct and obvious stages. Okay, 
That is relevant because that means, first of all, there is a hierarchy in order. And secondly, based on what the stress is and what the conditions are, each of those stages is going to take a different amount of time. That's where we get into this concept of exercise can be much less linear than you think, and the responses can be far later and after the stimulus. Yeah. So you go to the gym, you do the workout, and then seemingly nothing happens. The reason that seemingly nothing happens is because your resistance stage, the stage where your body has to do all the clever shit to get caught up, becomes ever more protracted. When you first start lifting weights, you the the, the alarm stage comes on very quickly. If you do one rep, your body goes, holy shit, what's going on? And madness ensues. Okay, so the alarm stage is very, very short, which means the recovery stage is pretty short because there's not a hell of a lot to recover from because it's only a couple of repetitions. So the alarm happens quickly, the recovery happens quickly, which means that the growth happens really quickly. So everything takes place in, you know, 48 hours or something. Now, as you get more and more resistant to exercise, which is code for better shape, bigger and stronger, you need to do more total exercise. So that takes longer. The alarm stage now takes longer because instead of two reps, it's 47 sets. Okay. Then because you simply did more, it's going to take longer to dig yourself out of that hole. So now your recovery stage is so much larger. Some and, and in some people, say if you're super, super physiologic, if you're my size or even bigger, the recovery stage can be so long that all sorts of other actions have been committed in that time. I go to the gym and I squat on Monday, and then I, you know, bench press and I overhead press and I do rows and I do all these other different things on ensuing days. So now the stresses are stacking up which isn't necessarily specific to the squatting, but it's still a stressor. It's still sapping away. You know, if you think of it as money, it's still taking a portion of my income that might've gone immediately to that squat session. (laughs) So now just because of my secondary and tertiary actions, this recovery phase is expanding and expanding. So it can be to the point where I'm getting ready to squat again And I've not necessarily reaped the full benefits of the one in the past. So what happens is you start getting the stacking and layering. And now you can get to such a protracted position where if something goes right or or something goes wrong, you can't necessarily go, oh, I did too many sets of squats. Or was it I did too many sets of squats and then I rode and then I benched and I overheaded? Or is it everything's fine and I just have to wait and that'll, that'll catch up to me? Is it a point where I protracted that recovery curve to such a ridiculous degree that now I now have two squat sessions under the same recovery curve? So this idea that it's as linear and as proximal as people think is absolute nonsense. Yes, you read these stories about, oh, you know, you know uh, protein synthesis curves are only this many hours. This many. Those are under idealized and normalized conditions. And by definition, you, me, and almost everyone listening to this podcast really don't fit under the heading of normal or idealized. Mm -hmm. We're all sorts of shit. We're juggling all sorts of plates at once, all at the same time, half the time on assorted diets, hypo and hypercaloric, all over the place, 
that in itself affects this recovery curve, the availability of substrates, the availability of energy, you know, in my case, the availability of drugs, you know, drugs can truncate that recovery curve to such a point where it almost doesn't exist. It's literally workout response, workout response, and there's not much in the middle. Yeah. Or I could do such stupidly large workouts that it's this giant alarm phase and then a very little recovery phase and then, you know, response. So what happens to, to really, yeah, we kind of left people with the idea in that last podcast that, you know, there, there, there can be basically nonlinear type behavior yeah. to really shorten it to that. What can happen is the, the workouts become so big, the recovery window becomes so big and the response becomes ever smaller, you know, because each time you get a slightly less, every time you go to sun, you don't get as dark as you yeah. did that first time. So the, the workouts become bigger, the recovery becomes bigger, and the responses become smaller. It can get to the point where the responses are so far from the workout and so small in their actual effect that you really don't notice them. Yeah. So it's workout, recovery, I don't know what happened, workout, recovery, I'm not really sure if anything happened, workout, recovery. And then it's like the fifth time you go through that cycle, you've now accumulated enough response that you recognize it much like I talked about with the scale, the changes from day to day to day can be so goddamn small. Yeah. You don't really notice them. It's not till the seventh day that you go, oh, okay, I did lose a pound. I'm okay. Well, you lost a seventh of a pound every time, but the scale was too broad and inaccurate a tool to measure it. Same thing here. So you can squat five times in a row, and it isn't until the sixth time that the magnitude of response is large enough for you to really measure in your little journal. Yeah. And what will happen is people will lose faith or, you know, just generally get worn down emotionally and intellectually. And they start to think that maybe there's, maybe that's something wrong, something wrong with my workouts. There's something wrong with my recovery. And they don't realize that it's not something wrong. It's in fact, exactly right. That's what you're doing. You've trained yourself to such a high degree that the workouts are really hard, which requires a giant amount of recovery and generates relatively little response. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's the case. Now, here's the interesting part. What typically happens in those conditions is one of two things. Either people will say, oh, I need to deload and take you know, time off. Well, what happens is now your budget has changed. It's not that deloading is magic. It's just that you're no longer stressing the organism, which means your organism can redistribute its budget, as it were. It's not now spending an enormous amount on these giant workouts and this giant recovery, and it can spend all of that budget, as it were, to just the response part. Yeah. So now you start to accumulate the adequate response to the last five squat workouts and the last five bench press workouts. And, and so they see this sudden, you know, uh, you know, bolus of response and they think, Oh, well, I was overtrained. No, you were properly trained and now you're properly recovered. They're entirely from a biological point of view. Those are radically different responses. Overtraining is in that hierarchy of shit. That's the, uh, the, 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 the exhaustion state. Training is you've broke shit. It's not, it's, it's, you've rounded the point of no return. You're no longer going to get a positive result under any conditions. The best result you can get is return to normal health. Whereas the description I just described is everything has been right. And now you've just laid off the gas pedal enough that the wagon you're pulling 
catches up to you. Yeah. It's an entirely different scenario there. So is this, and, is that go, go. related to kind of when people talk about super compensation during like the deload, you allow that super compensation to happen? Right. But the, the point is, the, the, the relevant point here is it's a matter of chicken and the egg. It's a matter yeah. of action response. The deload is not magically making you grow or making something happen. It's simply allowing a break in the action for you to manifest and realize all the work you've actually already done. It, it's entirely different. It's, it's a, it, you know, for, for sake of analogy, you go to work every day and you punch a time clock and are tabulating income, but you don't get it right then. Yeah. You get it in a big bolus at the end of the week. They give you a check, which is the accumulation of all the work you did. Sometimes, sometimes in jobs, I don't know how it works in your land, but sometimes it's literally from last week. You don't even get paid for this week. You yeah. get paid for last week. Well, that's the thing. Now, if you took a week off and didn't go to work, you would get eventually two checks where you only did one week of work. That's what a deload is. It's just allowing your past income to catch up with you and you can hold it and go, oh, look at all the hard work I really did. It's here. It's on in these two checks. You didn't do extra work and you didn't even get extra money. You just allowed all your money to catch up with you. Yeah. That's what a deload is. And it's by virtue of this concept of stress reflex, which by its very design and definition has a built-in time delay. And as you get more and more advanced, the delay gets larger and larger. Mm -hmm. And the ability to not cognitize and recognize the results because they're further apart and much smaller becomes ever greater. So you get to a point where you feel like you're just spinning your wheels and then you take time off and then you see it. It's been there all the time. You've just been in the way of seeing it. Yeah. Your actions have muddied the waters and this is how it works. And, and, and on a separate but similar note and one that's a, a pet bitch of mine, another great place to recognize the same uh, scenario is with the goddamn stupid changing of exercises. Yeah. Everybody's got change. You got change exercises every whatever, every other workout, every nine workout. There's always some magic number where something becomes ineffective. Well, reflect back on stress reflex. Simply what's happening is the result from a given action becomes further apart and harder to recognize because it's smaller. And then what will happen is Billy Bob's super trainer will say, oh, well, we'll change the exercise. We'll, instead of doing you know, regular bench presses, we'll do wide grip bench presses or we'll do machine whatevers. That's a break in the action, which allows all the response from the regular bench presses you've been doing all along to manifest. And then suddenly you see a result. And it's, you know, super trainer guru guy looks like a genius because you got and saw the results that you had earned all along. Yeah. It's nothing. It's just simple, almost inadvertent manipulation of the basic stress reflex that's been there the whole time. So the is the key there it sounds like you kind of have to almost once you've been accumulating the stress you kind of need to remove that stress to allow the adaption to take place and then what you don't want to do is kind of draw conclusions from the adapt like the change you want to kind of place 
what you've been doing kind of the cause in the right area so for example if someone's been dieting then they take like a night off and they go and drink and they maybe have a cheat meal and then the next day they're actually lighter they might try and think oh it's because of this what night before but actually it's all the hard work they've done beforehand it's it's exactly exactly that i mean if you really stop and think about it it's foolish to think you can eat triple the calories and get leaner. I mean, if that were the case, then nobody would diet. Everyone would just eat like an asshole. That doesn't work. But what it did do is break the stress cycle and allow the body to now do things that it was underpowered, underfueled, and underfunded to do. And the result is very proximally a manifestation of all your hard work. The problem is that process is now broken you can't re-break it you can't keep breaking it so it's not like eating more and eating more and eating more is going to continue to exacerbate that response that's a one that's a one trick pony Mm -hmm. like just randomly calling in and taking the day off from work it breaks your stress it makes you feel better but it's not going to continue to work because then you're in a new stress called joblessness and that doesn't work either so again the funny thing is, and I, I just used you know money and the job as a thing, and people are like, well, you're getting out of you know you're you're speaking out of your turn, you know you're a biologist. What are you talking about you know economy and sociology? And no, I am a biologist, and that is my area, and I try not to talk into other areas. However, the reality is this concept falls under the heading of a complex system, and all complex systems, whether it is sociology, economy. I mean, you can make an enormous amount of analogies to the way biology works and the way the stock market works because there are, the, in, in mathematical terms, they're the same thing. They're a large, dynamic, complex system, and you can't track one thing and draw a conclusion. You follow one stock, and you can know everything you need to know about that stock, but it doesn't tell you shit about the national economy, the trend of people's buying behaviors, on and on and on. To do that – you need to track many, many stocks in many, many genres, which is why just getting on the scale doesn't really tell you what's going on in a creature. You need to have scale data and nutritional data and blood pressure and pulse and body fat percentages and, 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 and the more data you have, you know, the best stock pickers in the world are tracking so much shit you don't even know exists. Yeah. Stuff that you don't, you know, that I don't even know exists. They're doing ratios and analyses and because that's what they do. Well, this is what I do. I track shit in ways that other people don't even realize is something they can track. And because of that, I'm able to draw slightly more prescient, more distant conclusions with a little greater accuracy, just like that magic stock picker, because I have, at the very least, a concept of how big the subject actually is. Mm -hmm. And that, if anything else, that's what I want to impart to people, is I don't have all the answers. Hell, I don't have I don't have all the questions, much less all the answers. Literally, something that I took away from college, and I am I'm very bitter about college. <laughs> I really feel like I spent a hell of a lot of money for like four or five relevant yeah. nuggets, and one of them is this. One of them is, is this: if you discover or learn something new, it's completely and totally worthless. If it doesn't make you ask five new questions, wow. that's the value of a new piece of data. Not, ooh, I figured this out like a little kid, and, you know, no, I figured it out. No, it should make you go, shit, now that I know this, yeah. 
what are these other things doing? Yeah. Every new answer should give you five new, original, interesting questions. So let me tell you, folks, I'm not collecting answers. I'm collecting questions. I have way more questions today than I had when I was 16 because I know way more about what I don't know. Yeah. That, that's the reality, folks. You know, I mean, people accuse me a little bit of intellectual arrogance. Let me tell you, I, I know how much I don't know, and it's a fucking lot. Okay? I want people to understand that. I might get a little pompous and stand on my box a little bit because I do spend a fucking lot of time thinking about this. But the underlying and overriding thought I have every day is not how much I know. It's I'm not going to live long enough to figure out the shit I don't know. Yeah. That's the reality here. I think uh, something I definitely I've have said before is like the more I learn, the more I learn I don't know, and the more Absolutely. I want to learn more, and there's so much out there. <laughs> it, it is. It, it's it's staggering, and every once in a while I even I get frustrated at the the gaps and the voids and the things. But every once in a while I get to talk to somebody like you, and I get to relay and repeat some of the stuff I do know, and it momentarily. <clears throat> makes me feel better that at least I've gotten this far. At least I've gotten this far. No, 100%. Um, and then I do have another thing I wanted to talk about. It's a little less hard science. Yeah. Uh, Lyle McDonald and I and a couple of others have constant ongoing background dialogues about subjects. And we'll find little interesting pieces of literature and studies and research and bounce them back and forth. And one that was bouncing around between us uh, not terribly long ago was this. There's been some measurements among high level athletes that show not only is there this delayed response and exercise isn't quite as linear as we thought and certainly not as proximal as we thought, there also seems to be a cyclic rhythm to responses that maybe that's not terribly surprising because creatures have rhythms. You wake, you sleep, you eat, you things happen on a fairly regular pattern, even in nature where culture and society isn't a factor, you know, animals do tend to eat every 12 hours and so on and so on. It's, there are rhythms to things. It has come to some researchers, um, a belief system and, and conclusion that the protein turnover rate, the natural lifespan and replenishing cycle of innate living tissue in and of itself impacts the responses to stress. Um, The little organelles that actually manufacture protein called ribosomes have of their own a life cycle. It's like a factory. The, The factory itself has a period of time where it becomes inactive, needs to be repaired, and it comes back online. And it has been speculated with some pretty strong supporting evidence that that cycle is relatively synchronous and relatively predicted. So what can happen is, is what's believed has happened is, if a vast enough proportion of your ribosomes need to be replenished within a given period of time, no matter what activity you're doing, that's going to be a dead, that's going to be a a couple of days off in the factory workers kind of analogy. And so there's a break in the action imposed by a completely outside concept to the exercise, to the reflex, 
to the response, there's also this labor cycle that goes on in the background that can also impact how you measure this response rate. You know, the action takes place, the recovery takes place, and then strangely, nothing's happening. It's because that nothing happens to coincide with where the ribosomes would normally be doing their work, but now they're not. Right. Then in a day, they pick up where they left off, so you're getting this response here instead of here. And that seems like a little bit, but the difference of a day, you know, if you're working out every seven days or every four days, the difference of a day can be gigantic. So... Again, it's it, it's like I said. There's not a lot of super hard research where people put their stamp on that and so said that's happening, but it's it's very reasonable, it's very plausible, and it it just adds a layer of complexity to make this even more. I can't really tell you what's going on. You just got to trust that your behavior is overall good, and the magic will happen. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to do, especially when you try to believe that you're informed, educated, and making these great decisions, at the end of the day, pinning it all on, and then a magic unicorn rides in and builds muscle. Oh, shit, that's really hard to swallow. But that's it. That's the reality. I think, I mean, to make this maybe more relative to the listeners, or at least this is what is kind of things firing in my head, is when we've talked about kind of fat loss before, we've talked about, and Lyle's talked about this, kind of that whoosh that happens. You kind of have to trust the process and then you get the whoosh. Or he's also spoken about um, you get like a growth spurt somehow yes. um, at just a random point. It's like, well, if you hadn't trust that process, would you have actually seen this outcome? Correct. Correct. And that is, in fact, where I was going to go with this. Awesome. Sort of. Is that is just like the changing of exercises. I think a lot of people talking about the delayed action of exercise. And I said, you know, my attitude is, when you get to a point where you think you're at a plateau, go a little further and make sure because I can't necessarily identify by the numbers all the things I'm thinking, but what I'm thinking overall is we could be in a condition where the response is a little more delayed than either of us would like. Let's wait just a little bit longer and make sure. And at least half of the time that you you wait that little bit more you get hit in the ass by a giant wagon of goods yeah. that you're looking around for. And then now here's the, here's the real rub is when that happens, there might honestly be a legitimate point to say, all right, now I actually do need to break the action because it isn't going to get much better than this. And even that is a little bit speculation, but it's reasonably rational. Mm-hmm. Would an example of that be, I mean, I've had clients where it's been legitimately it's been like a month and we've been in a, a deficit. We should be in a deficit. Everything's saying we're in a calorie deficit and they haven't lost weight for a whole month. And we've waited, we've waited, we've waited, take a diet break for a week. And then the next kind of the weight just comes off every week, more than right. predicted. And it's kind of like a delayed response from that month prior. And that's exactly what it is. Now, <clears throat> the question would be, and it's it's not necessarily super important in the practical sense, but the intellectual question would be, if you had just waited one more week, would they have seen all that result anyway without the actual break? Mm-hmm. Or was the act of breaking the stress 
the relevant factor. And the reason that's an intellectual question is if not taking the break and just waiting would have manifested the result, that means everything was fine. Mm -hmm. Protracted and longer than you wanted, but biologically fine. If the break was keyword required to generate the response, that means you were at the end of this list and you were at the recovery slash failure stage and you were bordering on failure. Yeah. And the only way to manifest the results was to break the cycle, break the stress reflex. So the difference there is one is you just needed to wait longer and reap your results. The other is you actually had to change your actions to reap your results. Yeah. One is the doorstep of failure. The other is I'm just so advanced. It's going to take a while. Yeah. They're, in principle, pretty simple, pretty similar. In practical tense, they're pretty similar. But in intellectual sense, they're wildly different because one leads to success and one leads to failure. Mm -hmm. You're at that point where you're at the fork in the road and you have the option to take the wrong fork. Yeah. That's the key is intellectually, it's very important. From a practical point, the, the dieter doesn't care. He got his results. Yeah. But as a coach, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an intellectual you know, guiding you know, tool, it's really important to figure out which that is. Mm -hmm. And I guess as a coach, the tools I've used to whether I implement that break or not is normally it's looking at stresses. So it's kind of like, are you diet fatigued? Are you showing all the symptoms that you need a break potentially? Correct. And that's kind of what I go base that decision off. Is that a good idea? That, that's not only a good idea. It's essentially the only idea. Yeah. And it goes back to, and I, I hate to harken back all the time, but it goes back to that idea of, not just tracking one piece of data, not mm -hmm. just using a scale. It's the scale plus. Well, here it's not just the scale, but it's the scale plus emotional component, uh, you know, strategic component, uh, resting pulse, resting blood pressure. All of those things are indicators of the accumulated level of stress. Combined, like I said, tracking many stocks at once if all of the stocks are trending in the same way, you can make a prediction about the market at large. Yeah. If all of this person's statistics are trending one way, you can make a prediction about the organism at large. We are decidedly trending toward failure mm -hmm. because everything's accumulating to a breaking point. That's a wonderful indicator that we need to back the fuck off. Yeah. But if it's just one fat trend heading that way and everything else is kind of, uh, you can probably say, I need to push the pedal harder to bring all these traits together. Not to say that pushing to the breaking point is a bad thing. It's not. That's how you make progress. Mm -hmm. But you have to be sure that's actually what's happening. In many cases, the difference between just laziness and lethargy can look suspiciously like overtraining and failure. If you look under the hood at the actual data, hmm, if the tachometer is not near red line, you're probably not pushing the engine as hard as you think you are. Mm -hmm. Maybe the exhaust fell off and it just sounds really loud. You know, there's, 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 you know, it's maybe a bad analogy. I'm not a car guy, but mm -hmm. the concept is you really can't trust your eyes and your ears. And, and even with one piece of scientific data, you need an, an amalgam of data and maybe even a context to put that data in. How did this play out the last time? Yeah. And you break that data out, you you know, you you kind of draw the line on the chart, you go, oh, that's a 
you know, a 30 degree incline. And then you look at today's data and you go, I'm only at a 20 degree incline. You know, maybe I'm not pushing it as hard as I am. Or you do the data and you're like, holy shit, it's, you know, warning, warning. (laughs) So, you know, the concept of stress reflex is a guiding principle, but at the end of the day, you need your conscious thought and relevant data to interpret it into something that's going to let you pair it to what should be happening in terms of, you know, temporally that response. And then you put your data on it and see how well they line up mm-hmm. and then you make your decisions. Perfect. And uh, I guess, so we were talking, we were wanted to introduce this and we talked a bit about fat loss. So we're talking more about muscle gain now. Uh, yes. Some of the things you'd be tracking for that kind of like gym performance, you'd be looking at Absolutely. body composition, you'd be looking Absolutely. at scale weight. Um, well is there body fat percent well that's body composition i guess those are the things that you've mostly been tracking um yes but then in the background i would also t- t- uh, measure pulse blood pressure and body temperature because okay. it's not necessarily directly relevant to muscle gain but they're very relevant to the performance of the machine which ultimately has to manifest the muscle so you know if the pulse is going up or down that could indicate the overall physical condition of the creature is going up or down. You know, if your condition's getting better, your pulse is going down, it's hard to make the argument you're overtaxing the machine. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say you're getting a fitness result to, you know, and, and, and at the same time achieving overtraining. That's pretty unlikely. So that, even though it's not relevant directly to muscle gain, it's, you know, it's like the tachometer in your car. It's very relevant to how that engine's running. Yeah. You know, that may not tell you how the tires are doing, but you can make a vague assumption that if I'm not driving the shit out of my car, I'm probably not wearing out the tires and vice versa. You can make the conclusion that, you know, if I'm driving everywhere up in the red line area, I'm probably taxing the engine hard. That's probably wearing out the tires and brakes quicker. Mm -hmm. So you can make reasonable assumptions based on that data. So, again, people kind of scoff and go, I'm not in a contest phase. I'm not going to track that. What the fuck? Really? I mean, you know what I mean? That's like saying, you know, I don't drive my car real hard, so I'm not checking the oil this month. What? But that's literally, continually, that's what people are saying. I just, you know, if you're going to engage in this kind of activity, you've undertaken a vast, you know, burden of data collection and manipulation. That's just what, just who you are now. And you need to do that. And then, once you get ha- the habit of doing it and the habit of reviewing it, it, it becomes obvious why you need it and it becomes more and more interesting and exciting um, or you pay somebody like myself or you to do it. But anyway, the point is, is that that's just who and what you are now. Yeah. Again, unless you want to be just a recreational guy that just lifts weights and has fun, I don't care. That's great. But that's not my field. Yeah. Don't engage me in a conversation about your, your hobby. I, I, I love that you have a hobby, but it's not what I do. Mm-hmm. So we're just talking different languages. Yeah. And, and, and um, that's a, 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 a salient point, I think. No, yeah, certainly. I think, I mean, I always say as a, as a coach, especially an online coach, without data, I'm blind. Like, there's nothing I can go off. Um, Agreed. So the more data you can have, the better picture you've got. So I think that's that's a really good point. And something I wanted to touch on is something you've talked about is how these stresses are accum- like they accumulate over time. So we know Absolutely. you can't diet forever. You can't train for okay. muscle growth forever. There becomes a point at which you kind of need to take a break. How would you kind of find this point and how do you make sure that you're not maybe taking it before you should take it? 
Um, what is your well, kind of way of going about that? Well, first of all, there's practical considerations that lie at least parallel, if not superior to what, what you just outlined. In sports, there's oftentimes dates. You know, yeah. You're going to compete at this time or you're going to do this or that. So those become the relevant targets. And it's now a matter of, you know, plugging the, 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 the gaps and, put, you know, plugging the holes in the, in the dam to, to make sure that you get to that point. You know, it's kind of the, the airplane with the wing falling off. It's what can I do to make sure I crash on the axe? Yeah. You know, and that's literally what your know, bodybuilding is really is. We know we're doing a lot of shit wrong, but it's going to get us to limp across the line. That So I, I, I sometimes take the concept of idealized answers away because the reality is dieting to single digit body fat and all of these things, they're not normal, they're not natural, and they're nothing that would happen under idealized conditions. Yeah. A normal population of creatures never wants to carry twice the muscle mass and half the body fat. That's just not something nature wants to happen. So in a many senses, you're doing something by definition that's abnormal and non-natural. So in that context, I wouldn't necessarily say, what do you do to ensure this or ensure that? I would say, what do I do to ensure we meet the target? Right. So that's different, which is a lot of times just titrating. I know we're close to overtraining, but let's, you know, let's just tune it enough that we can keep not crossing the failure line, the, yeah. the catastrophic line. Yeah. You know, it's again like that tachometer. Let's do everything we can not to just get it to break, but we, we have to stay in that red zone. So. The, the answer of, you know, what's ideal really doesn't apply because what's ideal is not dieting. Right. Because yeah. that's what somebody wants to do is not diet. You know, yeah, that doesn't win a physique contest, but that's what your body wants. Your body wants 20 or 30% body fat mm -hmm. because that's a great survival mechanism. So I, I think, you know, what you're asking me is, you know, what kind of things do I track to determine that? And I can answer that. But the reality is, let's be clear that that's to achieve a very unnatural state. Yeah. And it's outside of the general bounds of biology. But again, what I would track is the big picture. All of the data, body weight, body percentage, gym performance, um, even as, as ethereal and goofy as it is, is something I put in my training journal is, you know, okay, these were the sets, these were the reps, these were the rest periods. Um, not only that, but how did I feel? What was my impression of what happened? Yeah. Even though that's not a real thing, it's a measurement of my perception of a thing. And if my perception is consistently negative, even if it's not real, that will begin to make me negative and vice versa. If my perception is relatively positive, then I can say that I'm not at least on an emotional level near the breaking point, and it becomes irrelevant data, even though it's almost not a data. It's a, it's, a, it's a vagary, but yet in the context I'm using it, it has a certain merit. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the many other things I would track is just my general impression of, you know, how is it? I even do that. I keep a, a training journal, and I also keep a daily journal. And my daily journal, I'll write things down like, you know, just generally, do I feel, is it a good day? It sounds stupid, but, you know, if you're tracking 30 days and 20 of them were good days, you're trending to the good. If 
30 days and 29 of them suck donkey balls, then well, I'm probably headed toward, you know, a, a, a catastrophe. So again, data is everywhere and in everything and it's hiding in, pla in plain sight all over the place. And the more that you track, the more rational you can be about your decisions. It's just, unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. No, I, I actually really, really like this because this forces, I mean, it, it just forces people to be, and, and this sounds really bro and not very scientific, although it probably is a really good thing for you, is getting to understand your body and like how is it responding to things. So people like to think, oh, I must accumulate for this long and deload here, or I must only diet for three months and then I must have a diet break. Whereas if after three months you're still losing weight really well, you're feeling really good, you've got all indicators of positive progress, why are you taking a break when you don't necessarily need to yet? You, it's all indicating things going in the right direction. So I like that perspective. And, and I want to interject there, and this is something that, you, you know, I, I mentioned a lot of times in my dialogues with Lyle McDonald. Um, I actually even talk more with uh, Mike Isretel. Uh, he, he's a friend. We oftentimes just shoot the shit, talk about nothing. But every once in a while, we talk shop. Um, and we're kind of such good friends, we don't talk shop as much as we could because we do have slightly different viewpoints on things. And it can make, it can make, uh, not uncomfortableness, but it, it you know it makes a, a loggerhead that we don't necessarily need as friends. Yeah. But what you just said is actually one of the points that we come to terms on regularly, and that is, what is the purpose of exercise? It, it's such a stupidly simple question. The purpose of exercise is to manifest a result. You know, get leaner, get stronger, whatever. But if you intellectualize what that means that means by definition to get better at the process that's what it means you are able to tolerate grander and grander workouts which generates that recovery which generates that response you know when you first start presses kicked your ass now you got to do 37 sets there's you're getting better at the process yeah so this idea that every fifth week you absolutely must deload to me is nonsense because my whole idea of exercise is that I need to get better at it. So maybe initially three weeks and then a deload was necessary, but maybe now it's four weeks and a deload. And maybe one day in the far-flung future, it'll be seven weeks and a deload. Because I am, by definition, getting fucking better at the thing. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm getting better at generating results. It might mean that I get the same results every seven weeks that I used to get every three mm -hmm. weeks understand that but the point is it's it's a stress that you're de you're developing a tolerance to like a suntan the you're darker now so you have to stay in the sun longer to get the same result is it impossible to believe that you need to stay in the gym longer to generate the same result it's you know that's why i made that grand concept of that stress reflex is it actually applies to every kind of stress the same concept that I have to stay in the sun longer to generate a response. And the actual amount of accruement of suntan is roughly the same from my now eight hours of sun that I used to get for my 20 minutes of sun. So now the accruement I get from eight hours of bench pressing is the same as I used to get from eight sets of bench pressing. Mm -hmm. It's that's the concept here is so this idea that these hard, fast rules that I need to do this every this often, and I need to do this, Yes, you need to do that, 
but the time frames are very adaptable to the conditions that have been opposed over a long period of time. Yeah. I so, think I think the I, I do like um Mike's foresight in the fact that a deload is something that you should probably have. And like I think you agree with that. It's just inescapable consequence of the stress reflex. There's exactly. no question. But the art the the the, the variability and the argument, as it were, comes into how much, how often, for who. Yeah, perfect. No, and that's where you and I come in as theoretically good coaches to understand this bigger, this bigger process, understand the behavior of the individual, and start to figure out what that magnitude, frequency, et cetera, is. Because it's not the same for everyone. Yeah. And this gets relates, sorry, I was just going to say it relates to and something Mike's talked about is kind of, he, he talks about massing periods and, and you kind of get to a point where you're using every hypertrophy tool in the toolbox and you kind of have nowhere to go. You start not getting pumps, training starts like not feeling good. And that's when you take your break. And that's kind of your approach, like layering hypertrophy methods kind of across mesocycles. Um, I really like this. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, and again, I, I, this is not meant to be a, a, an offhanded pat on my own back because I'm not as educated as Mike by a sh fucking enormous margin. And I'm not, you know, as clever as Lyle McDonald by an enormous margin, but we're all pretty bright. We've all spent a really long time on this subject. And coincidentally, we all have very similar behaviors, perhaps based on slightly different perspectives mm -hmm. and slightly different fundamental focuses. Mike focuses on certain exercise markers, whereas I focus on certain biological markers, where Lyle focuses mostly on hormonal markers. But our general behaviors are the same. Every so often you need to back off, allow the results to accumulate. You need to track data to determine you know, what data we track might be different based on our perspective. But yeah. the concept is you need to collect data and interpret it to your model. And there's this basic, you know, you're going to exercise, you're going to wait, and then you're going to see the result and move forward. It's, it's not a coincidence that we all basically do the same thing in basically the same way and if you knew nothing about the subject and you just stood back you go yeah they're all doing the same shit yeah if you really knew the subject you'd go no he's looking at this and he's looking at that but coincidentally they're making roughly the same decisions which is good like it confirms that you're all like the, the fact that you can That's come together and conclude that shows that that is a, a good idea for people to follow Absolutely. And it also shows each of our individual limitations. God knows I have a bunch of them. But if you were even more impartial and clever, you could take the best of all of us, make an amalgam of a, you know, a more unified, rounded system. There's a reason why I call these people on the phone all the time. Yeah. It's because I have deficiencies that they don't have and vice versa. You know, something I really, really try to intimate is, yeah, I'm a smart ass and I'm a lot of things, but I also know how much I don't know. Yes. And the reason I have a telephone largely is I, I don't fucking like people. It's not like I'm just calling up a chat. It's, I call people because I have a problem and I need a solution and I'm desperate that maybe they're the asshole with the answer. Yeah. That's 
that's the reality. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. I just got done saying Mike Israel's my friend, and he is. <laughs> but to, the concept of a friend to me is a bit transitional. You know, it's, it's a, no, I uh, can. I completely understand, and that's exactly why I, I run the podcast. I have chats with Mike, I have chats with you, and I'm sure to have Lal on the podcast again because kind of getting all of your information and trying to kind of find where it all fits together is exactly what exactly. I'm trying to do as a coach because Absolutely. I have loads of deficiencies. So and I strongly commend you for that because that is the the right answer, and you know, you just love, like I'm. I have major personality flaws and I'm old and curmudgeoned and partially crippled and <laughs> I'm not the most open-minded asshole going. So it's very important that you get what you can get out of me, but then don't take it as gospel, move on and apply it to some other stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm now at the point where I'm hopeful that you and others will take what I've done and go much, much further. Yes. I, I don't, think that I'm the end of the line here. A lot of people kind of have that attitude, like I'm the expert. And I'm like, no, I just have been, you know, angrily trudging through this long enough to accumulate this body of shit. Here it is. And, you know, maybe you could do something with it. Maybe not. Well, I think I, I certainly have been and will be. It's I, the stuff you've been putting out and I, all the listeners will agree. It's been invaluable. And the fact you have the kind of the humbleness and this approach to it all is, is, fascinating and it's amazing it's really really refreshing um the only thing I, I i think we've spoken about this topic really really well and because you brought up mike and lyle and i think the listeners will really enjoy this perspective from you is in terms of nutritionally eating for muscle growth now i know mike and lyle their actual viewpoints on this aren't miles apart they're not at all i think no. people think they are i think people think mike thinks you just have to eat at tons and grow as fast as you can and Lyle is like just gain at a very 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 slow rate um what is your standpoint here in terms of how do you go about nutritionally charging kind of that surplus what are you looking for in terms of do you go for a certain amount of weight gain do you go for a certain amount of surplus um what is your approach um actually my approach is yet different than both of them but yet probably a little more like mike's um again i'm not i, I I don't know if I can, should say this out loud, but I, I'm not Mike's diet coach. That's foolish. He's a PhD. I'm not. But I have had input on Mike's diet paradigm yes. uh, based on my body of, of abilities and knowledge. And this is how I can literally tell you how I would design a diet. Uh, you could write it on probably this post-it note. It's nice. that simple. I'm not joking. Uh, I sincerely believe that if it's not simple, it's probably not right. It's not go mad, is it? I, I really do believe that. Um, I would literally take your body weight in kilograms and I would, all the research suggests somewhere between the R US RDA of 0.8 grams per kilogram and somewhere up around three grams per kilogram are all pretty valid nitrogen intakes, protein intakes. Yeah. Most of the research consistently shows right around two grams per kilogram. Yeah. So I go with that. So I take your body weight in kilograms and multiply it by two. Thou shalt consume that much protein. No other answer is correct. I'm not saying that I'm absolutely correct. I'm saying in my paradigm, yeah. that's the correct answer. You don't take more on off days. You don't take more on training days. You know, you take that amount because you are a computer with programming called DNA. And the idea is I want to program that computer that this is the right answer every day, all the time, no matter what. If I want you to weigh 100 kilograms, I'm going to give you 200 grams of protein. Nice. If I want you to weigh 99 kilograms, 
I'm not going to give you 200 kilograms of protein. That's the answer. It's programming. So your body weight times two protein every time, no matter what. Your body weight times one for fat. That's probably overkill. Most of the research shows it's more like 0 0.7, 0 0.8. But one's nice, very simple math. It's easy to work. You don't need a calculator. You can do it on your fingers. We're going to go with that. Two grams per kilogram of protein, one gram per kilogram of fat. You're going to total that up and get an amount of calories. Mm -hmm. okay? You're going to debit that from what we think, reasonably assume, is your calorie requirement. You're going to be left with a difference. Yeah. That's how much carbohydrates you're going to eat. End of story. There's no clever nothing. Now, what we're going to do is with that same paradigm, let's say you're entering a mass phase, and I want you to be 10 kilograms heavier than you are now. Yeah. We'll do all that math plus 10 kilograms. Because again, I'm programming you to not be the weight you are, but the weight I want you to be. Yeah. So it's you know your body weight plus 10 times two times one debited from your you know activity, and that's how many carbohydrates you eat. Literally, you can write that down on a playing card. It's not complicated. And that is essentially the same scenario I would use in a weight reduction environment, it's just the numbers, you know, the, the carbohydrate number would get ever, ever smaller, but I would never lower the protein. And initially I would not lower the fat later on. I probably would simply because calories must come from somewhere, but I would save that as a last resort. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. So when we're talking about, say someone does want to be 10 kilos heavier, yep. you know, I'm, I'm assuming because you can only gain kind of, I mean, you can't gain 10 kilos of muscle in a short period of time. Would you do this on like a monthly basis? So you'd no, be like, in reality, no, I, I think. I would not. Okay. Um, I would not. Uh, there, there's an argument to that. Um, first of all, what I would do is set the goal as a rational point. Cool. You know, if you're presently 70 kilos, putting on 10 kilos is unreasonable. Yeah. If you're 100 kilos, putting on 10 maybe isn't quite as unreasonable. So I would make the goal attainable. Yes. But again, biology is, at least in my purview, in my paradigm, it's action over time. Time being the most relevant and valuable tool available. So the longer I can get the input programming to say gain 10 kilos, the more likely I am to achieve that result. So from day one, I would start putting in that answer. Yes, it might mean a greater accumulation of body fat initially because you're hyper, hyper caloric. Okay. But over time, the recompensation mechanisms because of anabolism and all the things will take over. And the end result will be you achieve that accumulation at your target body fat quicker than any other curve. Yeah, you could stay leaner longer, but it's going to inhibit things. So again, my answer would be no. I would say, all right, you're 70 kilos. We want to be 75. Eat like 75. Start today. Let everything happen as it happens. Trust the process. You'll get to the goal at the fastest possible rate because you're giving the information for the longest period of time possible. Mm -hmm. And so once you've hit that 75, that's where you'd adjust. Well, again, I would it's it's a matter of then to what purpose what what is what is the athlete doing yes. is that the target you know for a contest or for the initiation of a, a, a dieting phase it, it's all target relevant i mean if the, if the goal is just endless gaining i would say yeah let's maintain that for a couple of weeks gather our wits not necessarily for a biological purpose but probably more for a 
emotional, social purpose, it's hard to just, you know, eat and train like an asshole endlessly. Mm -hmm. So let's have a break for external reasons, possibly generate an internal physiological, you know, reprieve, but maybe not. But, you know, let, let's achieve a emotional, social homeostasis and then replan the next. Maybe it's another five kilo gain or maybe it's some other goal. But that's how I would do that. Um, a lot of times when people get, you know, we talked about the stress reflex and the delayed action and all that. And also, you know, this magic of a, a diet break or a training break, a deload, whatever. A lot of times it's not so much the physiological response you're reaping as much as it is a, an emotional or social yeah. response too. The brain fatigues somewhat separately and independently of the body. You can be in a condition where your body's humming along just fine, but your brain is just sick to death of oatmeal and deadlifts and nothing is going to change that on a physical level. Yeah. You're just sick of that shit. Taking a day off, just like calling into work and just going, yeah, I got a call. Yeah. I'm not coming. I'm just not coming. It's not, there's no magic in one day off, but maybe there is just putting your feet up and watching cartoons. You can tolerate the next couple of days just because you can. Okay. So. Cool. No, I think that's a good answer. And I think we've, we've been talking an hour now and I think we've talked about a lot and we could probably go quite in depth into this subject. Maybe that's something, it may be for the listeners, it's inspired some questions. So if you do have questions, Drop them below. I'm sure, I mean, Broderick, we want to come on several times, kind of, and Broderick, I'm sure, is more than happy to come on again. I'm, I'm going to speak for him there. Um, and, like, it's been superb talking to you about all of this. I'm sure people have taken tons away from it. And I want to say, actually, if people aren't aware, Broderick does co consulting for a living, kind of, this is what he does. And he's been helping me out. He helped talk to Mike. Um, we, kind of did my peak for my bodybuilding show. It was kind of such a learning process. So I do want to point people in Broderick's direction just now, just because if you do enjoy him speaking on subjects, he's very, very humble, very, very personal. If you want to book a consultation with him, don't be afraid or worried or anything like that. I'm going to throw Absolutely. that out there because um, I'm, I'm sure people have got questions. And if we can't cover them in the show, you can always kind of get Broderick. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. So thank you, Broderick. Absolutely. And to what you said on, on your know, people asking questions, um, folks, you know, if you don't understand the scientific method, and I'm not accusing you of being ignorant to it, but the, the key to the scientific method is not that one person's right. That's not it. That's not the idea here that I'm right. And you just sit there and listen. The idea is that something I said or did makes you think about your own assumptions, your own ideas, and your own input. And then the next step, just like that stress reflex, there's an action, there's a response, there's a recovery. There's an action. I made an action by saying a bunch of shit. Now, the response needs to be you thinking about it and digesting it, and then the recovery needs to be dialogue. Yeah. You need to say, what about this? How about that? I don't agree with you, whatever, and then dialogue ensues, and then people on the periphery can hear that dialogue and that continues like a nuclear reaction. Then they do that. And then they talk. And then the next thing you know, there's some new valuable shit. Even if what I said was wrong, if it starts this dialogue that ends in right, it's Perfect. valuable. That's the point here, folks. It's not that anyone, Mike Isertel, Lyle McDonald, me, or, or you is right. It's a matter of we have a perspective and we're talking about a subject. Now let's run with it. You guys run with it. Go. It's incumbent on you now. That's the gig. Is it, it, It's not so much about me. It's about you.
You know, I'm not trying to defer the blame and be like, oh, I'm just running my mouth and saying whatever. And <laughs> fuck you. I'm saying that ultimately you're responsible for your affairs. So think about it, talk about it, communicate, and let's let's get smarter. Amazing. No, that's it's such a refreshing perspective to have, and that's exactly what our, when we're talking here. These aren't questions I have just at hand. It's I'm getting feedback from you and it's making me think of things and I'm sure I'll think of things in future. So that's amazing. And yeah, comment below or in the Facebook group is another great place. So I'll have those links and I'll make sure all of Broderick's information. So if you do want to get him in contact with him, website, email and things, get in touch and we can get you that. So um, without further ado, I just want to say yeah, thank you again, Broderick. Thank you for everyone for listening um, and we'll catch you guys soon.